Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So there, there's this really interesting nonprofit organization, and it's called The Restore. Uh, maybe you've seen one or two of the, the Restore locations around where we are. It's basically a, a, a home improvement warehouse, uh, but it's unlike any other kind. You can donate some of your, your furniture or uh, things you have around the house, like like chandeliers or building equipment, even some tools. You can donate them and then they resell them at a fraction of the cost, at a fraction of what you would say pay at at another large home improvement store. It's been said before that if, if Home Depot and Goodwill had a baby, it would be the restore. So every dollar they make at the Restore, 87 cents of that dollar goes to Habitat for Humanity. Uh, Habitat, as you know, is a a global nonprofit organization dedicated to providing um, affordable housing for low-income families, families who may have gone through some ordeal, some tragedy or some disaster, or just, just trying to get up on their feet. And they help provide this this housing where they can come alongside the workers and and take a part in rebuilding their own lives, attempting to stand on their own two feet. It's really fantastic. And so in many ways, the ReStore is more than just a, a clever name for a company. It's like a mission, really, because they they're they're partnering with a habitat and with communities, and I would even say partnering with God in attempting to restore the dignity of families. The definition of restore literally means to return something or someone to their original state. Yeah, yeah, to return something or someone to their original state. You know, you and I have an original state, right? And we're reminded of it every time a baby is born into our families. We're reminded that we are made whole and in the the image and likeness of God and we are intended 
to live a life that is in harmony with God, in, in union with the divine. But we know also that we're, we're born into a world that is, is not always divine. And the baby, as whole and beautiful and great and lovely and Edenic as that baby may be, that baby grows up and learns how to fall down. That baby learns how to become wounded, scarred, and most babies know how to do some wounding eventually, don't we? And, and living in that kind of world, well, it, it threatens over time. And in some cases, even unravels the original union we have with God in which we feel alienated and separate from God. There's a word that we use to describe this kind of condition, and it's, it's sin. And the thing about sin, it doesn't matter who you are or what your particular sin happens to be. The impact of sin is the same for all of us. It, it separates us. It, it fractures this relationship that we were intended to have with one another and with God. What we really need is a restoration project. And the whole sweep of Scripture is the telling of God's great restoration plan that in Jesus, the Christ of God, is up to restoring you and me and all of humankind. But in order to be restored, you have to first be reclaimed.
So there's this, uh, this verse in the book of Isaiah. Uh, a verse that really sums up part of what it means to be restored. Because you can't be restored until you're reclaimed, right? Well, God says, do not be afraid because I have reclaimed you. See, there's something very consistent about the character of God as it's revealed in sacred scripture, right? And the consistent thing is, no matter where you look in holy scripture, God is always, 100% of the time, on the side of the outcast. That constantly paying attention to the margin, God welcomes in who the rest of the world throws out. Yeah. God will welcome in who the rest of the world throws out. It's true about groups of people. It's true about individuals. There are these stories all throughout Scripture where God remembers an individual or an individual family or a group, a tribe, a nation. But even more than that, it's is that there are certain kinds of themes to the kinds of people God really pays attention to. And the themes that are weaved through Scripture are orphan, widow, uh, resident alien, stranger, the homeless or the loveless. God is always breaking God's own heart open in compassion and mercy to these. God welcomes in who the rest of the world throws out. But it's not just that God welcomes them in. I mean, if you really pay attention to the New Testament and to the life and ministry of Jesus, God chases after. I mean, relentlessly pursues those who have been thrown out. The throwaways, according to society and and the world around them. So he goes to Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. Everybody hated him. I mean, he had the worst reputation in town. He was considered a crook on the payroll of the Roman government. But he pursues Matthew. Doesn't just tolerate him or provide a space if Matthew chooses to come. He pursues him because he chases after those who have been thrown away. Or the woman who was caught in adultery, really entrapped in an adulterous sting operation, if you want to really talk honestly about it, where the religious leaders try to set her up as bait to trap Jesus in a theological error. When they brought her before him, and there she is in the dirt before him at his, at his feet, and she's weeping and ashamed, humiliated, an outcast. Instead of lumping his own righteousness or piety on top of the other Pharisees and religious leaders around, he stoops, he pursues her in the dirt and asks her, where are your condemners? Because neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He goes to the woman at the well, understanding what it meant to approach a Samaritan. Do you know the Samaritans after the exile, well, they were the ones who had stayed back in Jerusalem during the exile. They weren't the elite. They weren't the leaders of the land who were escorted out during the Babylonian exile. They stayed behind and they fell in love with Babylonians. 
Gentiles. And what do you do when you fall in love? Well, you have a family, right? And so you have children who are biracial, children of two different backgrounds, and that became the Samaritan race. And everybody looked down on them. Everybody had racist assumptions about who they were, and this woman in particular, and yet Jesus, passing through Samaria, deliberately goes to the well of Jacob because he knows she's there, and he knows she's there at noonday when all the rest of the women come early in the morning for socializing and catching up on some gossip and and making a connection with all the other women in town. She's by herself at noon, completely rejected, thrown away. (laughs) And there he is, not only not giving up on her, but pursuing her. And it's that way with everyone Jesus came across, the lame, the sick, those who had diseases that everyone was afraid of, right? And we know a little something about that these days, right? But he, he gave his time to those who were mentally ill. The garrison demoniac, we believe most likely had some kind of mental illness and he chose to approach him when everyone else would throw him away. He was living among the tombs, among the dead, because he was like a walking dead man. No one welcoming, welcoming him in. And Jesus goes to him. See, see Jesus has a way not only of welcoming in those who the world has thrown out, but he goes after them. So there's this man, his, uh, 1988, this man was about 23 years old, and his, uh, his name was Craig Randall. And Craig Randall uh, worked for the waste management uh, in the suburban Boston area. He, he was a trash collector, drove a truck, and from time to time, he wasn't ashamed to admit it, from time to time, you know what he would do? If he saw something in the trash that he thought was interesting or that he thought he might want to work on or, or bring home as a little project, well, he'd pick it up. He picked up all kinds of things over the years. Craig picked up a an old-fashioned Singer sewing machine, you know, the heavy kind. I thought that was kind of a classic, so he picked it up. He saw collections of records that he took home and cleaned up. He'd have old books, quite a collection, because you know the saying, right? I mean, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, one day, he's driving his truck, and he's, he's collecting, and he sees this, this, uh, this pile of trash, and on top of it is this paper cup. Well, it's from Wendy's, and it had one of those stickers on the side back in 98, back in the day when there were like these contests, and you peel it back and you win, you know, like a soda or some fries or something. Well, the week before, he had won a chicken sandwich. So now this week, he sees another cup there. He thought, why not? He picks it up. Maybe he'll win a side of fries. I don't know. So he picks up the cup, and he peels back the sticker, and it said, congratulations, You've won $200,000 toward a brand new home. <laughs> I mean, it made, it made national news. It was amazing. And right there all along, this treasure hiding in the trash. You see, God sees the treasure in the trash. And I don't, I don't know what your own particular 
journey has been like, but I, I suspect that if you're like most of us in our species, you go through days and seasons, maybe eras in your life when it, it feels like you've really blown it. Or maybe you're the one who blew it and, and life caved in on you, but maybe not. Maybe you have been the recipient of abuse or neglect and, and some kind of wounding. And if you feel as if your life is trashed, here's a truth about God that you can take to the bank. Always. God sees the treasure in what we think is trash. So part of God's great restoration plan begins with being reclaimed. But after God reclaims us from the heap, the second step in being restored is to be repaired. So this, this sculptor, one day, uh, really, really botched up this magnificent piece of marble. And, and because he thought he couldn't do anything with it or repair what he had done, he just kind of left it out in the yard. It stood in the courtyard of the cathedral in Florence, Italy, for about a hundred years. Just a thrown away piece of marble that no one dared touch because it was just, it was just a wreck. Some people actually called it the giant because it was there. Families would be born. <laughs> the children would come and grow and have children of their own and then go back to be with the Lord and the stone was still there. No one would touch it. All the best artisans of Florence assumed that nothing could be done with it until about 1505 they asked a young uh, a young sculptor by the name of Michelangelo what he thought he might be able to do with it he looked at it he studied the imperfections he measured it and then he couldn't get out of his mind the image of the young shepherd boy David yeah and for the next three years, Michelangelo spent every day waking and sleeping devoted to this sculpture. He would chisel 
he would chip away some of the edges. He would cut off parts that he didn't need. He would sand and then he would polish and then he would go home and come back the next day and he would, well, he would chisel and chip away and cut and sand and polish again and then his rhythm continued. He would chisel and chip and cut and sand and polish until we have the magnificent work of art that we have today called the David. People were absolutely stunned at what could have come out of a thrown away piece of stone. Uh, he was said to have been asked about the David. Everyone came from all over to see this work of art. And they asked him how in the world he could accomplish such a feat out of that useless piece of marble. And, and he said, well, it's really easy if you think about it. You just, well, you just cut away all the parts that don't look like David. <laughs> Isn't that great? In a, in a longer interview, he was said to have uh, offered these words. He said, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprisoned the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. And of course, you know that the David is not the only work of art that Michelangelo produced, the Sistine Chapel, but there's also a lesser, a lesser work of art, and it's, it's the, the angel at the Basilica San Domenica. And, and someone asked him about that work of art as well. It's a gorgeous um, angel that, that adorns the inside sanctuary of that, of that church. And he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. In the great restoration project underway in you and me, God is doing the same. The, the, the master sculptor himself is carving until the version of us that God had in mind, the one that God is transforming even as we speak, he carves until it's, well, until it's free. Yeah. Now, the, the great restoration project and God restoring us involves being reclaimed, and it absolutely means that after we are reclaimed, there is repair underway. But the trouble with repair is that it's not easy work. Because it involves the, the chipping and the chiseling and the sanding and the polishing and then more chipping and chiseling and sanding and polishing. It's not easy to allow parts of our lives to be removed. But when we come to Christ, the Spirit who abides within us is constantly at work within us, transforming us. Transforming us until we reflect the image of Christ Himself. And sometimes that's painful work. You know, 
in the Old Testament, we read about the, the refiner's fire. You know, if you're a silversmith and you're, you're charged with dealing with, with certain metals, well, you have to refine the metal in an extremely hot fire. I mean, extraordinary temperatures. But the trouble is, if you leave the metal in the, in the fire for too long, it'll destroy the metal. But if you, don't, if you don't leave it in the fire long enough, if it's not in the heat long enough, well, then, then it won't, it'll hold all of its impurities and, and it won't be purified as it's intended. So what's the trick? Well, the trick is that if you're the refiner, you hold the metal in long enough for the dross to come out and to, and to, be, to be melted away from the metal. But how do you know when it's too long? Well, you hold it in long enough until you are able to see your own reflection in the metal. And this is what God does in us. Out of love and out of a, out of a deep desire to transform us into the image of His own Son, we will go through seasons of refining, of repairing, so that we might be truly restored. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, we hear these words, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. The first step in being restored is to be reclaimed. The second step in being restored is to be repaired. But it's all for the third step, so that we might see God rebuild our lives. So in the book of Jeremiah, God wants to communicate a truth to God's people. So he says to Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house, and there you'll see my message. So Jeremiah goes down to a workshop where the potter is at work at his wheel. He's creating this vessel that is beautiful. And, and as he's forming it, something happens, and the vessel that he's working on is actually spoiled, the text says, spoiled in the potter's hands. So you know what he does? Instead, instead of doing what you might think is natural, instead of taking the lump of clay and dumping it in the trash and starting over with a fresh lump of clay, instead of throwing it away, the potter begins to rework the clay. He begins to spin the wheel that it's on. And as it begins to rotate, he drizzles water on it to keep the clay moist and pliable. And he shapes it. And as the Word of God says, he shapes it into what seems fitting 
to him. And we imagine that the new vessel that he shaped out of his hands, well, it it looked nothing like the first vessel, but it was actually something that seemed fitting to the potter. When, When God sets out to restore the humankind, God doesn't simply throw away any of us when we have become marred or spoiled or broken. The key to that phrase in Jeremiah 18 is the clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, we hear these words that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork, in God's hands. Whether we are broken or beautiful or or some combination in between, The truth is, this is how God restores us. By reclaiming us when the world throws us out, by repairing us in our broken places, and by rebuilding us into something that seems fitting to Him. I know that it's it's easy to to look at your life and, and, and think that maybe you never imagined it shaping up the way you, it shaped up. Maybe after the divorce, after the big event, after you lost the job, after the collapse of the family. And yet, this whole time, God has been in the process of restoring you from whatever wound you bear. And just as the potter shaped the clay into something new, something different than before, It was something that seemed fitting to the potter. So my prayer for you, my brothers and sisters, is that you would understand that you have been reclaimed from the heap. That this is a God who who welcomes in that which the world throws out. And may you be aware of that fully this week. And may you be aware that in the places that you have assumed must remain broken forever, may you be aware that God, through the Spirit, is constantly attempting to repair you, to restore you through the process that is not always easy and is sometimes painful, through the the chipping away and the the chiseling and the sanding and the, the polishing of your life. Know that He is repairing you. And it's all so that, well, together, as the handiwork of God, our lives may, may demonstrate, like on, on display for the world, what the work of redemption looks like. So go and live a restored life this week so that somebody in the midst of the trash heap and somebody in the midst of brokenness and despair and the splintered hope that they carry around so that so, somebody somewhere will be able to know There is a God who is up to their restoring.